Hello, you're listening to Armchair Analysts with me, Cameron McDonald, and Rupert Meadows. This week, we talk FA Cup upset. I mean, this is what cup competitions are good for. Everyone loves a massive upset. Career revival transfers. We've all experienced at least once thinking that Timo Werner is a very good player. And Roy Hodgson's history. <laughs> Wait, I actually thought you were joking, so I just laughed through what you were saying. Right, heading into the FA Cup third round. Um, yeah, weird week uh, for football because we've had a lot of different hodgepodge bits and pieces. There's It's sort of harder to build a, a league narrative or sort of a wider narrative, especially at this point in the FA Cup. Uh, so I think this week we're going to be talking about uh, a few of the games of interest from the FA Cup third round, a few of the wider narratives. There's also a few interesting stories uh, inside and outside of the transfer window I quite want to talk to you about. Uh, a few things that tickled me uh, and may tickle you, or, or you may think, Cameron, you're, you're a terrible person uh, for making light of this absolute <laughs> tragedy. Um, you, you really put my attention to that because I stand firmly ready to think either of those things like i believe yeah, I, I believe it could um, be either of those things it's, it's kind of like what one of the things that i've found i don't know why but it just makes me laugh every time is when you'll see on uh either like twitter or something online it'll normally come when like a player is injured or a player gets sort of like a knock and a fat like let's say it's when James Madison got injured and you'll have like a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a West Ham fan underneath and they'll say something like all rivalries aside I hope it's a season ender <laughs> it just always makes me laugh no matter like no matter who it is no matter what team it is just someone being like all rivalries aside and they say something incredibly right it's so basic but it just makes me laugh every time it's good, clean fun. It's fun when no one gets hurt. I think that's the best part. <laughs> Except the player in question. <laughs> uh, details, details. Um, well, FA Cup third round, we had uh, quite a few interesting games uh, and a few uninteresting games, uh, starting off with uh, Brentford and Wolves drawing 1-1, uh, which was a game that irked manager Thomas Frank so much that he launched into a tirade uh, against replays and sort of uh, re-sparking mm. this debate that seems to come around every now and again. Jurgen Klopp's definitely been a proponent of it. I think Guardiola's had a say of it. Certainly, a lot of the managers of so-called, you know, big clubs, and by big clubs, I'm t- taking a step back and looking at Premier League clubs, um, of sort of going, oh, God, do we need more games? Um, in the game itself, kind of interesting, Brentford, uh, I believe, are yet to win a game outside of West London this season. Um, they obviously did win against Chelsea, which should have allowed to do that. But other than that, they haven't won a, a game outside West London. Um, Wait, this season? And, and this was no different. This season, yeah, in, in all competitions. What? How could yeah, you just drop yeah, something like one, that? Right? Like, like it's... <laughs> Is that a well-known um, thing? Rupert, That's crazy. To, to make up for the lack of structure, I have got a, a number of little gems sprinkled out for you throughout the, the course of this episode. Yeah, but call um, a gem a yeah. gem, Cameron. Don't just cast it aside <laughs> along the path. Brentford, uh, yeah, yet to win a game outside West London uh, this season. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting because... This sort of Thomas Frank thing, it it raises a big conversation again. Obviously, we are talking a lot of the time about how many games players play and how the load needs to be reduced. But at the same time, 
the FA Cup and its replays are hugely integral to the English football pyramid and by proxy the success of English football as a whole. Um, and what makes it particularly interesting about Thomas Frank, of all people saying this, rather than, say, a Jurgen Klopp, is that it wasn't all that long ago that Brentford themselves were sort of in need of these big replays. I think there was a game in 2007, I think some fans were pointing out, that Brentford had a really key replay um maybe away at Chelsea, uh, that sort of allowed them to get the gate money that they needed to sort of continue being operational. So it is quite an interesting thing to see. And in a way for Brentford fans, maybe <laughs> they should take some sort of morbid pride in this that, you know, not too long ago were they in desperate need of replays. And now they've gained to such, they've got to such heights that they could sort of sneer at them. Yeah, I think I think it is interesting that, that Thomas Frank has said something to, to this effect. Um, obviously, you know, they are a Premier League side and they look set to be a Premier League side for a while. And I imagine if anyone's got a good grasp on their finances, it probably is Brentford. So maybe we should take what they're saying with with some heed. Um, it makes sense in terms of, you know, the revenue that smaller clubs can get. Um, I, I think there are some things that you could do while also removing um, rematches, um, re- replays. I feel like the most obvious rule, and I don't know how, like, enforceable this is but i think you could say for example that every small club that's hosting a bigger club like a league above them if there's any sort of league disparity the club in the lower league gets to host i think would be quite a nice fun way to do it i personally would would definitely or, or, or the other way around you mean no i think the small club well, all the other way around, and the small club gets a larger share of the. That, I mean, that's that's typically how it works. It's sort of an unwritten rule because, like, the, the, like say you have, you know, Manchester United versus a League Two side. The League Two side would rather have it at Old Trafford and sort of do a revenue split, which is typically what happens, rather than host it themselves and have like four thousand people come because that kind of tops it out. Whereas... Yeah, that's fair. So either way, I think if they can change the revenue splits such that the smaller club... Like, it's not just like a handshake deal that everyone more or less buys into. It's something that is like in law that the smaller club gets X percentage more. Um, I I think that would make things better. Um, I also kind of think, and I don't know how how much the numbers would represent this. I'd be interested to, to try and... I don't even know how you'd work this out, but I feel like to not do replays would mean that more small teams would be more likely to go deeper into the competition. Because if after 90 minutes, for example, it goes to penalties, a smaller team is much more likely to be able to grind out a draw and then win on penalties than they would be to have to do it again, all over again on a completely different day. So uh, I don't know. I, I think... I think that there's a way that it could potentially work for smaller clubs, but I'm interested to hear what you think. No, I, I think that's right. I do think that the best way to amend this would probably be a system whereby you have the draw and then in any matchup where there's a mismatch, where one team is the league hard and the other, the lower division side gets to choose if they would like to sort of flip it around and sort of do the Uno reverse card and go, oh, actually, you know, we would like to host it at their ground. Because if you put it in their position, like the team, the sort of the the higher division team are exactly going to complain about it being at home rather than having to go away. And 
you know, conversely, if the lower league team decide, actually, we don't want the revenue, it's not necessarily a top Premier League side, or maybe it is a, you know, a smaller Premier League side, or it's a side in the championship, maybe they don't want to do that, and they actually value the idea of being able to play at home as, as more valuable and get through. Um, so maybe that is the way to go forward, giving the lower ranked team the agency there. Um, on the other hand, I, I do think that while it is true the lack of a replay would give smaller teams a better chance of getting through. It's also the case that if you are a uh, you know a lower league side, I'm keep just I'm gonna keep using Manchester United just because that's the, they're probably the biggest team in the country. Sure. If you're a small team and you grind out a nil nil against Manchester United, that is quite a massive story, and it's a quite a massive story that then pretty much guarantees a lot of people are going to be watching the next match. So for all of the players and even to a degree the manager, you've kind of given yourself a really big day in the spotlight. Like it's not a guarantee mm. necessarily that every fan is going to watch on a Monday evening. Manchester United versus, I don't know, let's say South End. But if South End managed to grind a nil-nil out, and all of a sudden there's a reverse fixture, all of a sudden the narrative becomes, oh, South End can actually sort of bloody the noses of some of the bigger teams, and oh, okay, actually this this player was quite good, and you know, da 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 da. So I think that lends it a little bit more interest that all of a sudden, you know gives players a chance to step up to the spotlight. All of a sudden, there's a massive sort of media attention around it. Um, and even if they don't go on to win it, it might be another way for the, the club to make money in as much as all of a sudden, if, you know, 4 million people have watched, you know, a young winger score a goal in a 4-1 loss, whereas like maybe 1 million would have beforehand. Now, all of a sudden, Southend can charge a bit more for him in the transfer window and that can help them as well. I think I like all of your logic there. The only thing that I would add in is that the same could definitely be true of could be said of the fact that if they're able to beat Manchester United on penalties, then they'll go through to the next round and they will have that narrative of they've already blooded the noses. They've already beaten them. They are upstarts. They are minnows. This is a ch- like a title run, not a title run, a, a cup run. And they would have that tenfold. Um, so if if not doing replays increases the likelihood of the smaller team winning and actually progressing by, I don't know, 20%, 30%. And I think that's potentially a conservative estimate. Then I think all of your logic is is just as valid for, for getting rid of them. Yeah, except, I, and this is anecdotal and not based on anything really, but I kind of feel like if it happens as a one-time thing, there's not as much time to build up a, a narrative. Like, take one of the teams we're going to talk about a bit later, uh, you know, George Elikobi's Maidstone. They've done their upset now against, you know, admittedly League One Stevenage. So a big, a huge upset, but not you know necessarily knocking out a Manchester United. I think if you... Like, the media, the media has more time to run with the narrative. People have more time to sort of speculate. Whereas when they're sort of drawn against... And I suppose with Maidstone, if they draw Wolves, who George Elikobi used to play for, that will sort of add to the narrative. But I haven't really heard that many people in popular sort of discourse talking about various Maidstone players. People are talking about the how mental the upset was, but I haven't really heard that many people talking about specific players. Whereas I feel, and again, this is just a you know anecdotal thing, I feel like if you knocked or you drew with a team and you then had sort of like a lead up, all of a sudden, because you still have the draw of, in this example, Manchester United, you're still going to have all the major newspapers talking about this big showdown and sort of drumming it up and sort of, oh, fight night approaches. Who are the players that are going to be matching up? Oh, Diogo Dalla has to watch out for such and such a player and oh, Harry Maguire has to watch out for such and such a player, and I feel like it allows you a bit more chance to drum up a, a bit of a circus, really, uh, which I think would be no bad thing. 
I mean, well, yeah, I think that's true. I also feel like Maidstone United beat Stevenage, which is a really impressive result. But it's an impressive result if you know football. And I think for like selling a headline, beating Manchester United or or putting Manchester United to a putting any Premier League club really or the big big six historically to um you know uh, beating them or drawing with them is always going to be more impressive than like let's say a, a a div two team beating a championship yeah that, no that, that that's a fair point um Shall we move on to that upset uh, then with uh, Mason United? I mean, so much to love about this story um, from my perspective. I mean, firstly, I, and I'm, I'm sure everyone listening, I mean, this is what cup competitions are good for. Everyone loves a massive upset to the point where like a round of, if a round of any tournament goes through and there's not but a huge upset, I kind of feel cheated. and kind of like, this is why I've invested <laughs> in this tournament because I oh, want to yeah. watch it's, like it's, a 19 division side that's like made up fully of professional postmen knock out a, a like, professional <laughs> side. Um, um, yeah, to be fair, but, actually, the final thing I would say, if I may just jump in finally, um, I think the other part of why it's always exciting to see those like replay matches against someone like Man U. It's because everyone wants to watch the big team fail. So it's almost like this is like a, a time where it could happen. And everyone gets excited about that. It's not just about giving them, giving those young players a chance. Because I think they do get that chance. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. That they do. Well, maybe we'll get to see the chance if Maidstone United do uh, play against and knock out Wolves. Um George Elikobi, um, of course, formerly a Wolves player himself, uh, and they are the lowest ranked team remaining in this season's competition and are through to the fourth round for the first time since their reformation in 1992. Um, a really, really sort of historic uh, moment for them. Uh, I believe they are the first team uh, through from the sixth tier since 21 22 Harris, which isn't that impressive, but strangely, the first National League South side since Haventon Waterlooville in 2007 8 which I believe was the year they played Liverpool um, when we were sort of young lads and that was a massive thing. I, that That is sort of my earliest memory of a big... Um, it wasn't an upset. I think Liverpool won 5-2, but like a big mismatch draw that everyone was talking about and going, like, oh, oh, and I, as I recall, haven't Waterlooville scored first? <laughs> oh, yeah, this, it really sent me back. I'm trying to think about when the the first upset that I can remember is... I'll have to come back to that one. I, I, I genuinely promise I have I did not Google it that whether this was the match and whether they scored first, which may all be proven if, if it's completely wrong. If that is right, though, <laughs> listeners, that's all off my aging dome. <laughs> that is right. You can confirm yourself as a day one fan um, for your age bracket. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just been a wee lad then. You were indeed, um, and yeah, it, it was a it was a wicked result, especially because. Um, Maidstone also were relegated from the National League last season um, and obviously a lot has been said around that and the fact that you know this is a nice redemption arc um, and hopefully can lead to a spark of income that can then propel them back up the pyramid. Yeah, and, and that's what it's often all about, isn't it? I mean, they, they had that relegation last season under George Ellicobi, um, and I don't think he was sort of quite able to, to right the ship, but they're they're pushing for promotion now. They're fourth place in the National League South. Um, and yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It, it's funny to think about how 
you know, people prioritize these games. Because if you're, uh, you know, George Ellicobi, when that Wolves game runs around, if you've got like a massive game to get promotion, do you just sat that off for, for the FA Cup? Um, I actually <laughs> have uh, an interesting anecdote it's to share off. with you later about... Um, well I, well, I have an interesting anecdote to share with you. I have a few interesting anecdotes from a new podcast I've been listening to uh, in my spare time. Uh, so I'm a listener as well, uh, which cheating. is, are you familiar with the comedian Joe, Joe Wilkinson? I am. Oh, this is the, um, is this the one where Joe Wilkinson has a chat with someone like Patrick Bamford, if not exactly Patrick Bamford. It's it's someone so like Patrick Bamford that he is in fact Patrick Bamford. Um, yeah, he he basically sort of just. I can remember if it was Joe like Wilson, a, who was a, a player player. of that like ilk, or if it was actually him. <laughs> it, it is with Patrick Bamford, and Patrick Bamford is quite a good subject for that podcast, but also for the subject of sort of FA Cup um, questions. With the FA Cup coming up this week, this sort of last week's episode was Joe Wilkinson talking to Patrick Bamford about FA Cups and asking various questions. Um, and the reason I say he's a good subject for that is because Patrick Bamford has played uh, quite an interesting variance of levels. Obviously, he played for Chelsea at some points, but he's played for sort of championship clubs, League One clubs. I think he might have played for a League Two club at one point on loan. So he's sort of had all the different perspectives you can have of a big FA Cup tie, sort of being on either side of a giant killing. Um, obviously, like being at Chelsea and thinking, oh, the FA Cup's coming up, I might get a run out, versus sort of playing for a lower league side and thinking, oh, the FA Cup's coming up, I might not get a game here because this is all of a sudden... The, the biggest game of the season and he was saying words to that effect that like four teams in lower leagues and I suppose this is unsurprising but it's just interesting to hear it sort of confirmed he's like that takes precedence over everything else like you would drop everything just to prepare for that game for a chance of getting to the next round yeah I, I think uh I guess anecdotally it makes sense and instinctively it makes sense as well you feel like the hype in the dressing room the excitement of the fans the build-up the buzz the hubbub on the day all of that would lead to you just really wanting to go out there and getting so pumped up and so like jacked up on adrenaline that you'd want to give it your all. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for, for a lot of these players, like everyone's sort of playing a bit for personal glory and a bit for, you know, obviously the chance to be a part of history. You you have the chance, as was the case in this game, for example, for Maidstone, to to be an inexorable part of the club's history and you know you might while you're at it uh, get a chance to move up the leagues or you know get get uh, you know, more money for your club to help them move up the league so yeah huge 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 games these and and always great to see an mm. upset i for one will be looking forward to uh Mason playing against wolves um oh absolutely we we can move on to our next game. Um, there's not a huge amount to oh, talk about when it comes to Thanks, Manchester City 5, uh, Huddersfield 0, because it just seems like sort of being a commentator and a bully, like watching someone get bullied in the playground, instead of going in to help them, you're just sort of going like, and he goes in with a right hook, he's going for the wedgie. Um, but just a couple of things I wanted to point out. The <laughs> first one is that Manchester City have established quite an interesting record uh, in it's not it's not necessarily I mean it is a, a good record but it's not a it's not a wholly good one it's basically they've broken the record for the longest amount of games without a draw in the FA Cup with this being their 38th game without a draw um so obviously this includes losses as well so over that time I believe they've had 33 wins and five losses What's particularly interesting about that is that this sets the record. 37 was jointly held by, by two other clubs previously. Um, and obviously they set the record with a 5-0 win over Huddersfield. They actually started this run, the first win of this 38-game uh, drawless run, 
was against Huddersfield, uh, Huddersfield Town, and was also a 5-0 win. Well, there you go. The the lightning has struck twice. Um, how long ago was Ooh. that game, if you, if you know it off the top of your head? I do not have it off the top of my head. I read it earlier. I went, Rupert won't ask me for the exact date of that, and I continue <laughs> scrolling on. <laughs> he wouldn't do that. He cares about me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the only other thing I would say is uh, Kevin De Bruyne is back, and he took 17 minutes to register an assist. Obviously, yes, this was against Huddersfield Town, uh, so you know it's not necessarily uh, an indication he will come straight back in and firing, and certainly some of the comments around Pep have been uh, that he won't. But yeah. Everyone sort of hold on. Everyone who's not a City fan, hold on to your hats a bit because it's coming. Absolutely. And he didn't get injured. Um, that was whole and time he didn't on the pitch. Get injured. <laughs> exactly. Glorious. Um, at, at what point, how many games does he have to play in a row for us to think of him as like riding his luck? Is it like four? <laughs> I think so. I mean, if I if I see some players like Reese James of this world play th- like a half, I'm like that. You, you've got away, lucky there, kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> buy your buy your lots of tickets, lads. Let's talk about what was probably the biggest, uh, I, I want to say the biggest footballing story over, over last week, because it was, in my opinion, absolutely massive. Uh, a cardinal sin that I think, whether you like uh, Sunderland or you hate Sunderland or you like Newcastle, you hate Newcastle, was something that as football fans, we can all unite and go like, oh my gosh, which was that um, Sunderland were hosting their hated rivals, Newcastle. Absolutely no love lost between those two sets of fans, all those two clubs and several of the players. Uh, And yet the powers that be at Sunderland decided to decorate parts of the home end with Newcastle United decorations. I believe it was in the home hospitality um, side. So there were parts of the home end of the ground, not the away end. Even the away end would be pretty shocking. But part of the home end that had things like crossing out Huawei with an A, which is how, you know... uh, folks from Sunderland say it, with Howey, which is how folks from, from Newcastle say it, um, even a poster saying cheer up Peter Reid, which is sort of a reference to a Newcastle chant uh, calling one of Sunderland's most legendary managers a sad Mackham bastard, um, seems like a huge, huge own goal from Sunderland to essentially like not only offer their like butt to Newcastle, but to like put the first few fingers in themselves and be like, here you go. <laughs> Yeah, strange as well. And and while I think the fans should be praised for, you know, their their performance on the day, I feel like Sunderland's team never really got off the ground. And as a result, it created quite a weird vibe dynamic in the club as a whole. Yeah, 100%. Well, it, it just makes you feel like the people who are running your club don't have any understanding of what football is. Um which I, I would suggest is the case. And I think a lot, some people were getting really, really angry in a way that, again, I enjoy in my own sick way. Like I saw some people on like Sunderland Facebook being like, whoever at the club signed off on that should have their name and address published by the club. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of hating I absolutely live for. Yes. Um, but I do think, I mean, is it extreme to say that someone who has done that probably shouldn't work in football again? If it's someone who's in charge of like football hospitality or like, you know, stadium operations, probably shouldn't. St- if you can't understand why that's not a good idea, maybe football's not the sport for you. Yeah, it is. It is curious. Well, I, I can't say that I have been following Sunderland all that closely, but as far as I'm aware, they did change owners last year. Um, when uh, one of, I think it was their chairman and a then minority stakeholder 
um, Kirill Louis Dreyfus became the, the youngster Kirill Louis Dreyfus. He's like twenty five yeah. or something mental. He's twenty. He was twenty six in December, um, and yeah, it's a. I guess a period of change for the club um, for only a couple of years into the newest tenure. Um, I don't know. Um, seems, seems strange as you say. And yeah, that, and this is maybe critical and harsh and unreasonable, but I as a football fan look at any sort of young owner and think that's not your money. You don't know what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Pay. You're paying with your, with your dad's credit card or your mum's credit card or whatever. Yeah, I mean, is that really unfair, or do you think that's about right? No, I think that that is more or less what has happened. But I think the the Louis Dreyfuses, I think they own or have like a big deal in Marseille um, and maybe some other club as well. And this was sort of like Kirill's chance to own his own football club, uh, so he's gone in. I think he's been a minority owner for quite a long time now. So I think he was maybe like twenty two or twenty three when he first got involved. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, you're right. I think he does have, he's got a small stake in Marseille. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. It's not one that you'd ever want. It's classic, like, you would hate it if your club did it. But when another club does it, you're like, this is kind of funny and quite meme But it's like, it, it's one of those things, like, if you think about, like, football rivalries, so often are even things like results sort of hounded on for ages and ages and ages. Like, even in the lead up to this game, you had Sunderland fans going, oh, well you know, in the last five time where derbies were actually unbeaten or what, that might not be the exact stat, but whatever the stat was. So if Sunderland fans were harping on, the two teams haven't played each other in something like six years because Sunderland haven't been in the, in the top flight um, for, for a while now. But Sunderland fans are still sort of giving it a bit of the big because of the history. And the, their own club has sort of like, you know, even Newcastle won the game 3-0, obviously worth mentioning. But even then it's like, you know, the the fans are able to go like oh well you know look at you you've bought all your success whatever your dodgy owners whatever at least they have that what like what can you say when your own club stitches you up like that for like forever they have probably ripped apart a couple of families in, in the northeast like there are a couple of families <laughs> who, like maybe the dad supports Sunderland and the mum supports Newcastle and that's a divorce that's just a divorce that's happened now <laughs> they never do recognise the responsibility that they have do they. <laughs> <laughs> what what made it even funny is like well, I mean what a day for Newcastle fans. Firstly, your biggest rivals absolutely roll out the red carpet and bend over for you, you know, decorating their own home end. Secondly, you win the game three 0 so fantastic day out. And then thirdly, apparently uh, there was a like Wi Fi malfunction at the stadium, which meant in the away end, which meant that the Newcastle fans got to drink for free. I mean, what a, what a day out! What as in they were just like they were paying contactless and they just weren't going through. Well, like the the card machine, the beers were already poured or whatever, and the card machines weren't going through, so they just got the beers for free because they were already out. That's wild. That is wild. Yeah, see, again, you would think, like, if you're, if it's your bitter rivals, you would probably just like deny them. You'd say you have to pay cash. But here we are. I do always. Think, I mean, I, I I've I've watched a few, and maybe this is again, this is my lack of sportsmanship. But I've watched quite a few games during this sort of FA Cup round, and it feels to me maybe like, and maybe this is just recency bias. It feels to me like the away ends have been quite large this time around. Like we've seen quite a lot of clubs allocate like seven thousand, eight thousand seats to away fans, and I'm just like. I don't think you should do that. I think you should give them like six away tickets and then the entire rest of the stadium is home fans. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be making away fans feel at home, really. I, I fully agree. I fully agree. That that's part of your job. 
is to try and make everyone associated with Newcastle feel not at home. And they did not do that, categorically. They, they, they made them feel more at home than they would have at their actual homes. <laughs> put up the decorations that they put up the decorations for them. They, they Come on them in. You beers. like what I've done with the place? Have a beer. No, sh- seriously. <laughs> um, uh, two, yeah. two more. Well, for me, you might have another one to add in. Two more um, for me, uh, things of interest to talk about. Uh, one is that man, Patrick Bamford, uh, who scored the goal of the round against Peterborough United. An absolute wonder goal. Um, it's funny because like, he's a little bit older now. I don't think he's getting his regular time um, in the league side. Uh, obviously, Leeds are doing quite well at the moment, uh, looking to go up. And I don't think that Patrick Bamford is is necessarily getting a, a huge amount of uh, playing time. But he had his opportunity been here. Injured. And had he not? I think he has been injured as well, but I don't. I think he's been slightly phased out by some of the right, younger lads because right. he's, he's thirty-one now, um, which I guess isn't that old. But I, I just think there have been some some other options that have come in. Um, I mean, what a way to to make your case to the manager, hey? <laughs> to, you get one chance to sort of refine a bit of fitness and find a bit of form, and you go, yeah, I could do that, or I could score an absolute thunderbastard. It was a thunderbastard. It was very. Um... It reminded me of Peter Crouch's goal against Manchester City, if you it can did, recall yeah, great comparison. And, and would agree. Um, yeah, a, a lovely, or even, do you know, but the volley itself was quite Hamas Rodriguez-y. Um, definitely if anyone has missed it, um, firstly, what are you doing? Secondly, go check it out. It's pretty good. Yeah, go check it out. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant goal. Um Last one, um, obviously two, probably the biggest sort of setup of the round, Arsenal versus Liverpool, ended up being quite a weird watch. Um, Arsenal have had, obviously those two losses against West Ham and Fulham, have had about a week to sit down and think about why those games went the way they did, and then came out exactly the same way against Liverpool and lost this game too. <laughs> um, just an entire sort of 80 or so minutes of just failing to put the ball in the onion bag, all the ball, all the field tilt, failing to make a count, uh, and then an own goal uh, to put Liverpool in it, and then it all sort of fell to bits, and uh, you know, Luis Diaz scored a second. I mean, that that about sums it up, yeah. Arsenal um, didn't really have a lot going for them this game. Didn't really look uh, like their usual self. And by usual self, I'm not talking about the Arsenal of the last few weeks. I'm talking about the Arsenal of the last year and a half, I guess. Um, it does feel like they're in a little bit of a funk at the moment. They're going to have to knock themselves out of it. Perhaps the kind of funk that a new signing would change. Who's to say? Probably not Arsenal. Well, I think some... I think for a lot of people, this game represented a great chance to knock themselves out of that funk. Like, obviously, two games in a row of the same errors is not great, but then you have a really good chance at home to Liverpool, who are like a, a pretty reduced Liverpool side. They didn't have Salah, they didn't have Van Dijk, they didn't have Endo, who's been really key for them in recent weeks. It felt like a bit of an open goal to get like a you know a, a win over Liverpool in air quotes, but a win over Liverpool nonetheless to sort of get things back on track and sort of jumpstart a bit of the confidence. And they just fumbled it so badly. Yeah. Um, you're right, they did. Um, it was a poor performance. And I haven't actually looked at who they've got coming up next in the league, but... Crystal Palace. Know, this could be the first time that they have a bad January and, and maybe pick someone up, at which point I think we'd all praise them. 
If they do, I think they've made it quite hard for themselves with uh, financial fair play just because signing, they signed a lot of players in the summer, they've signed a lot of players uh, over the last few years, so I think they've now put themselves into quite a difficult position to sign someone really, really good. Um, I mean, we'll see. We never know with the sort of the financial footwork of some of these um, clubs. Actually, before we get into the window, um, I did notice that apparently Chelsea are uh, experimenting with a system whereby they would loan a player out for the first they would sign a player they would then loan them out for the first year or two of their contract and then sort of sign them on an extension and somehow the way that they would do that would allow them to essentially circumvent the um the amortization rules and allow them to still spread it over a long amount of time because there's something about like loan players that you don't have to there was something that basically meant that <laughs> Chelsea are doing what we all expected Chelsea to do the rules have changed Chelsea have been like yeah, yeah yeah we condemn this we actually voted for these rules to be changed and they've been like in other news we found a new loophole well yeah I mean is anyone surprised this is just bad rulemaking if you're making loopholes absolutely not it's just it's are... just funny it's just funny how quickly it happened <laughs> Um, you're right, it, it is funny. And and also probably, as you say, like in jest, but I think potentially a real thing, it might be why they said yes to it, because they already had their next idea lined up. It's a good point. It's a good point, actually. The timing would line up for that. Um, I mean, you know, who, who, who's to say? Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. But then I think Chelsea could do a lot without me being surprised these days. Um, I think my... <laughs> the the bar that they've set for themselves for doing dumb stuff or even just wacky stuff is about as high as, as it gets maybe barcelona is above them but not many not many above that um other news from the fa cup to mention um we saw a, a real demonstration in a couple of parts of the country of the gap between the championship and league 1 coventry city put oxford united to the sword, to the tune of 6-2. And Blackburn Rovers put League One Cambridge United to the sword, winning 5-2. That also now means that Blackburn Rovers will go on to play Wrexham in the next round, which could prove to be an interesting one. Wrexham is still in the competition, um, obviously uh, fairly new to it. And yeah, it's another narrative. Mm-hmm. It, it most certainly is. Well, let's see uh, what happens. I'm sure they've really sort of garnered a, a bit of a, a hating fan base now, Wrexham. There's a lot of people who sort of just uh, are just like, oh, God, I really want to see them fail, which is um, quite interesting because they're sort of in equal measure. People who love them and go like, oh, look at this amazing story, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, there's some people who just go like, fuck Wrexham, I want them to, to downfall. I mean, I think what I would say is I feel like it almost makes them less culty and more red bully if they just continue to move up the pyramid i think it would be so much more interesting and fun and people would be so much more embracing of it if they took over the club and obviously wanted to do their best and wanted to be ambitious but didn't just buy their way to like like rocketing up the leagues i feel like you know if they'd stuck around um in the national league for a little bit longer and you know brought more attention to the national league brought more money to the national league and and things like that then i for one would be so in support of that it's not to say that i'm not in support of what they're doing as it is i think it's still an interesting rise it's a new thing to watch in football as far as i'm concerned 
in English football at least, um, to have celebrity owners take over a club like that and kind of really put their heart and soul into it and, and like live and die as fans on the day. But yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if they keep pushing up and up and up and keep getting promoted, then I will start to lose interest in them. Interesting. Well, let's Although move I say on that and I'm actually completely wrong. If Wrexham made it to like the championship, <laughs> that'd be nuts. I'm so wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was going to say. Can't, I don't even know what I feel. I don't know what I feel. Um, well, to spare you from having to think too hard, let's move into the transfer window. The window has opened. Um, well, I think uh, I mean, the first probably a good sort of... time to stop and do a bit of use of trivia before we jump into the transfers. Yeah, okay. Let's do a bit of use of trivia. I have got uh, quite an exceptional one from you, courtesy again of Mr. Patrick Bamford. He was really dropping uh, a couple of great gems that I wanted to share with you, uh, and thus the fans, um, and thus the listeners, rather. Um, <laughs> got my terminology mixed up there. Um, <laughs> because it is someone that you are a huge fan of, uh, that being none other than Mr. Sean Dyche. Um he was sort of talking Hell about yeah. the different fines that happen at club level. So, you know, various fines for, you know, turning up late to training, your phone going off, you know, not turning up to a team night out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Joe Wilkerson was sort of asking him about the different details of these fines and sort of how they were applied and who collected them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and perhaps the most interesting system he talked about, because again, Patrick Bamford's been at many different clubs under many different managers. Um, he talked about the fining system that he experienced at Burnley under Sean Dyche. And the the fighting system at Burnley under Sean Dyche is so not what you would expect from him. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> players who were fined would be asked to spin a massive wheel, <laughs> and the wheel would have various punishments, but also some rewards that you could potentially land on. So if you were sort of late for training, you'd have to spin the wheel, and on the one hand, you could have to, I don't know, clean all the players' boots, but on the other hand, you could win 50 quid. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh... Uh, not something I would have thought of. Probably adds to the, the 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 fun, enjoyable dynamic, which I imagine you need to create yourself at Burnley. <laughs> um, no disrespect to Burnley, of course. Um, that's that's brilliant. I I did not know that. I feel like I've heard it's quite people funny, like it? Peter Crouch talking about different types of fines in the past, but I've not heard that one. No, and it's quite funny because you do get the sense that Sean Dyche is quite a sort of dour, no-nonsense bloke from his... Obviously, he can have a bit of a laugh, but he, he seems like quite a sort of typical old-school no-nonsense guy, which can mean only one of two things. Either that is sort of a facade that he puts on for the media, and then when it's, you know, behind closed doors, he's sort of Mr. Cuddly Teddy Bear and, oh, he loves a bit of fun... Or the second thing, which I think would be even funnier, is that that is actually what he is like, and he continues to be that way in training. But the only time he sort of lightens up is like under the sort of he, he just loves game shows. <laughs> like Sean Dyche is absolutely sort of glowering. But then if you put on Pointless, all of a sudden he's like, "Ooh, look at these points!" <laughs> he's just like used to love Bullseye back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, that's just his thing. He just loves game shows and sort of like spinning wheels. Brilliant. I, I, I like the idea that Sean Dyche somewhere deep down loves the shiny toys and the flashy lights. Um, I also would say, though, I feel like to, to paint Sean Dyche as not having been quite famously like quite banterous is is not fair. I feel like 
feel like he's often having a bit of a laugh with the press. I think yeah, you see those videos of him like answering a journalist's phone in the middle of an in, of a, like a of a conference and stuff like that. Um, he's got a bit of. I suppose. Him, I, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, our man Sean. I suppose he does. Well, yeah, that, that in the fair. spirit of the FA Cup, um, I thought I would do something. Talk about something similar, but on different shores. Um, which is about a, a player who plays for Juventus called Federico Gatti. I don't know if this is someone that you've come across much um, that's on your radar, but he is a centre-back who's currently playing for Juventus. Um, what's quite fun about this man is that he's doing something of a Jamie Vardy, the you know the English dream, um, anyone can be a footballer, in that um, just a, a couple of years ago, um, seven or eight years ago, um, he was actually in seven, uh, I think sixth tier side Pavarolo, which is a semi-professional side and working as a bricklayer. Um, and he now finds himself at the top of Italian football and has made 15 caps for uh, Juventus. Blimey, that's a, that's a great bit of trivia. And I love, uh, yeah, it's always heartwarming to see those stories of people working their way all the way up the leagues. There you go. Yeah, and it, it felt uh, at least semi, um, you know, appropriate given that we're talking about um can the small teams do it in the fa cup it's all about dreams certainly does well let's move next to the transfer window interestingly before we get into any of the transfers um another weird thing we're sort of at time of recording it's tuesday the 9th of january so we're basically a third into the window not that many big moves have happened and in some countries there are reasons for this but seems like a bit of a fallow year for the transfer saga I mean, I'm, I'm going to be proven wrong when I wake up tomorrow and it's like Kylian Mbappe has signed for Wrexham. But it seems like a fallow year so far. Agree or disagree, Rupert? I think you're right. It does seem to be quieter than normal. I think it's obviously a busier January than normal because, as we've talked about, there is the Asian Cup about to start. There is the um, uh, the AFCON about to start and I could imagine that for a lot of players that's a I don't want to talk about this now I, you know let me I'm about to travel to to go to my country but then you know they need to happen anyway I feel like generally when the most transfers happen is when there's nothing else really going on everyone's available to answer their phone at all times um, but yeah it has been quiet so far it's it's a good point about the AFCON and the Asia Cup, but I, I do think that it's kind of weird because those end after the January window closed, so you, you can't necessarily wait for a player to come back from it for it to all be over, like necessarily. I guess you also don't want to sign someone and then them to go off and immediately get injured, but it's quite quite a weird one. That's true. Uh, that, that is... Well, I, I did think about that. Um, yeah, I think it's more just that um, I imagine that, that more people have more going on um, than the average January um but yeah i mean i think um well to jump in probably the the most obvious place to start when thinking about the transfers is uh, our very own timo werner uh, who joins tottenham hotspur on loan um he could be very good we still don't know uh, he might not be um some people think they know 
I kind of need you to talk me down off the ledge with this one, actually, because I saw this transfer go through. I saw sort of it rumoured to be very, very close. And I sort of screen, uh, and I'm going to out myself here and sort of lock in what I think and prepare to be completely wrong. But I sort of copied, I, I pasted that tweet into a group chat that I have and was just like, oh, this is completely like, I think I just put a couple of laughing emojis. And like four or five people in that group chat were like, oh, I like it. You know, I actually think this is a great deal. And I was like, Really? Like the same, is this the same Tio Werner we all saw? And a lot of people going, oh, well, you know, I can see him suiting Andrew's style. It's a lot more of a low pressure move. He doesn't have to be the main man. I can see him banging. Talk me down from the ledge, Rupert, or indeed push me off the ledge. Am I insane for thinking that Timo Werner is not suddenly going to become a brilliant Premier League goal scorer or even like a, a massively useful player? And I think he's going to be just a bit mid? Or, or is there something that I'm, you know, not considering? I think, I think his. Here's what I think. Okay, here's here's the analogy that I want to give you, and I think that it's then going to become quite exciting in your mind. Um, imagine if you will, you're watching uh, a guy in a casino. Okay, you're in a casino and you see this guy, and he's playing blackjack, and he's going mad. He's he's doing chaotic things. He's like he's hitting on sixteen. And he's getting fives. People are loving it. People are going nuts. Everyone's watching him going, this is strange and confusing, but, and it doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing, but, but he's getting results and I, and I don't, don't understand why. And then you see him and, you know, he's got a little bit of an interest and a bit of a following. And then you see him go over to the roulette table and put like a grand on 32 red. You're going to be like, okay, well, this could be very good. Could, it might, probably won't work. But if it does... So, 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 I don't think, but that's not. I mean, hey, look, maybe that's right. I feel like people seem to be the overall mood just seem to be quite sort of positive. I, I, I'm, I don't think this is going to be a good move. What, what do you think? Do you, are you sort of are you the man watching the guy put it all on red and thinking, hmm, or do you think that nah, probably not? Well, I think Ange Postecoglou has already shown me that he knows he knows more than me. Like, I, I did not think Tottenham would be where they are. Uh, I, did, I did not think that they would be playing as good a football as they are. I didn't think they would never miss Harry Kane um, in, in the way they are. I, I think that I've been surprised and impressed by Postacoglu. And it's almost like the perfect marriage for intrigue because we've all experienced at least once thinking that Timo Werner is a very good player um, before he joined Chelsea. He was, for all intents and purposes, a pretty darn good player. Um, probably one of the best and most exciting strikers in Europe at, at time of signing. And I think whenever anyone fails, and especially at a club like Chelsea, you always think about whether or not it was down to the player or whether or not it was down to the environment in which they um, you know, found themselves. And the flip side of that is obviously that he he quite ostensibly missed a load of, of like easy chances and that's not really what Tottenham need right now they need someone to be clinical and and well they, it's what they want obviously um but <laughs> also we, just to, just to throw it back is any club ever in need of someone who misses a lot of chances yeah is, is, I, I, uh, I think maybe um, city maybe city, city yeah to make it just a bit example. more fair this is this is controversial but well it's not controversial Haaland misses loads of chances He's a fantastic Yeah, but he also scores player. a lot of goals. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm asking someone like, about exclusively who misses chances. No. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being facetious. Okay, sure. 
Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's obviously a good footballer there somewhere. He's obviously underperforming. And this is another opportunity for him to try and, and make something more of his reputation in England. And when it comes to players like that, sometimes they really get the bit between their teeth. Sometimes they really come and arrive determined. And I think that Spurs seem to have a really good thing going. They've got a good atmosphere, good um, momentum. And I, this is me almost trying to convince myself at the same time as convincing you. Like, I think it could be quite a fun thing to see. He could well do very well. I I wouldn't say it's more than 50% likely, but it, there's almost a sense around Postacoglu at the moment that if anyone was going to get the best out of someone like Timo Werder, it might just be him. Well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see. I mean, you know, in recent memory, a wide attacking player who was sort of not quite the grade for Chelsea went abroad and came back and now is uh, one of Liverpool's all-time greats. So will Timo Werner do the same for Spurs? I'm inclined to say no, but you never know. Um, they've also had uh, So Indeed. With The Good at Spurs Comes The Bad, um, the little bit of a uh, saga with uh, Dragazin from Genoa, who uh, I believe at time of recording still hasn't made a, an official decision, but the deal has been dragged out for so long by Spurs that there are suspicions that Bayern Munich are going to hijack the deal last minute. Um, I was quite surprised to see hashtag Levy out trending on Twitter uh, this evening <laughs> when I got in. Um, although, I mean, not that much, not that surprised, I know Spurs fans at any given moment, like, one impatience away from absolutely hating him and, and probably with fair reason um, but yeah it looks like they might have been gazumped to that deal because uh, Daniel Levy was doing his old trick of drawing the deal out <laughs> it's his game you know you can't be you can't be mad at the at the elephant for having big ears that's just that's just what he is Last bit before we move on, because uh, I want to move on to our miscellaneous football happenings as we are coming close to time. Um, ben Brereton Diaz, an interesting yeah. one, uh, signed nice. on loan at Sheffield United. Once a very exciting player down in the Championship, scored quite a few goals for uh, Blackburn Rovers, uh, and then went off to Villarreal, where he hasn't had such a good time. But now back at Sheffield United, gets the chance to see if he can do it in the Premier League. Quite an interesting signing. This This one excited me. Yeah, I was actually hoping you would talk about this. And if you weren't going to, I was going to mention it because um, I think he's actually a player that we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, I think one or both of us um, named him as someone that we would like to see a Premier League side sign. I believe last year in our January transfer window chat um, where we picked a player for each team, um, somewhere along the lines of like a Liverpool or maybe a Brighton, I think we said, um, should try and sign uh, Brereton Diaz because he was a, a very exciting player um, a couple of years ago and he, he could still be um, Sheffield are in absolute need of someone um, to do something uh, you know they, they've scored I think the worst amount the, the least amount of goals of anyone and Brereton Diaz is exactly the kind of player that, that could well turn things around so yeah I, I love this signing I'm excited to see him play in the Premier League because I've wanted him in the past to play in the Premier League. Yeah, very exciting indeed. I'm a, I'm a big fan uh, of that signing and I look forward to seeing what happens next. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, a couple Chris, of bits and pieces. Question, very quickly, because I know we are coming to time, but Sheffield United, Chris Wilder's back, Broughton Diaz is in. Is this anywhere near enough to turn things around? Do you think that they have 
you know, are they on the right path and they need to make more signings? Do you think that the mood is changing? Quick, quick notes. Uh, I think they'd need a bit more to turn things around fully, but I think they'll finish better now than they would have if they'd kept on with things as is. Like Wilder's a bit of a local hero. I think Ben Burton Diaz is exciting. So yeah, I think they were definitely going to finish 20th or 19th, maybe if Bernie had a worse season. But I think now they they, they could be in with a chance to stay up. Mm, there you go. Couple of bits and pieces from around uh, outside of football. I just want to talk quickly about a bit of trivia with Roy Hodgson. Uh, Roy Hodgson, who obviously was in charge of Crystal Palace uh, against Everton <laughs> in the third round this year. Uh, he was also alive, Roy Hodgson, at the same time as the player who scored the first ever FA Cup goal in November 1871. Um, Jarvis Kenrick who struck the landmark goal <laughs> aged 18 and died at the age of 96 in age 1949 um, whereas Hodgson was born in 1947 <laughs> wait I actually thought you were joking so I just laughed through what you were saying <laughs> what was can you give me those numbers again absolutely not a joke uh, it was a player called Jarvis <laughs> Kenrick uh, he scored the first ever FA Cup goal in November 1871 aged 18 he passed away at the age of 96 in 1949, two years after Roy Hodgson was born. Wow. That is... That is something. Um, 1871, the first ever FA Cup. Very nice. First ever FA Cup and first ever FA Cup goal, yeah. Well, look, you know what? You you promised gems in the form of useless trivias dotted here and there. I, I, I think you've delivered. <laughs> so that, that's a little bit I've got another interesting story you might have seen it um, about Pascal Chimbonda uh, former Spurs oh, yeah. player and um, you know uh, former Spurs player I think he played for Wigan as well he has uh, been managing quite far down the leagues he's been managing for the ninth tier uh, club Skelmersdale United um, I believe six days into his managerial career he had um, a little bit of an altercation I believe with a referee uh, and was given his marching orders and banned for five games from the stadium Skelmersdale have uh, appealed that decision and have seen his uh, five-game stadium ban reduced to a three-game stadium ban and came out with a sta statement to that effect. Within that statement, however, they also announced that Pascal Chimbonda has been registered as a player. So during the three games that he will be banned from the <laughs> touchline, he may well be able to sit in the dugout or indeed play on the pitch to give his players instruction. Wow. They... <laughs> yeah, I, I saw something to this effect. Um it's great. I love it. Um, this is exactly the kind of, of, of like rule, like dodging skullduggery that I want to see in football. I don't want to see Chelsea knocking around the latest, um, you know, way to mess with financial fair play. I want things like this. This is good. Absolutely. Good stuff. The last bit uh, that I just want to touch on, it's just a, a sort of little bit of a seed of a story at the moment. And I believe as it unverified, I've only seen one uh, outlet covering it, um, but a few different people have sort of run with it. I think largest people are sort of gleeful about it. Um, we've heard that Jordan Henderson is looking for an out from Saudi Arabia. That that piece at least has been reported a little bit more widely, um, that he is sort of keen to sort of come back to a different club, that Ajax are interested, um, that he's sort of not really uh, loving his life in Saudi Arabia um, but this has sort of seen another report come out that this unrest is not uh, solely confined to Jordan Henderson that a lot of the players there are 
unhappy about the uh, the climate and the, you know things are a little lot more different than they thought they would be there have been um, within this report some suggestions that um, players are unhappy with the uh, rights available to their wives in the country um, interesting to see if this holds any truth mm. or if this is sort of wishful thinking from one outlet that people who are also sort of wishing for the downfall of the Saudi league are running with but it would certainly be the quickest we had seen things come to an end you know that first real surge of players going to the Saudi league was about a year ago um and if things are already falling to pieces a little bit that's that's not a great even China had like four or five years uh, <laughs> where things seemed a bit hunky-dory um I guess we'll have to wait and see as I mentioned sort of very unverified at the moment I've only seen perhaps there are more that have come out but I've only seen and had a bit of a look it all sort of traces back to one report but um I guess we'll have to wait and see I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, what happens because if players start to leave now it'll sort of make that second wave for Saudi Arabia of bringing more players a little bit more difficult um and the project will sort of be over before it even really started i mean they've got the world cup now uh so <laughs> that, that they'll have that yeah. but the saudi pro league uh might not have the the mad success uh they they projected if that well, does happen but- and again still a huge if if that does happen like will we finally see leagues stop doing this because it clearly doesn't work if if indeed this is the case to just bring in loads of players and expect that that will you can't just have inorganic growth forced in well I don't know. I think, I think football is a is a rich playthings game a lot of the time, and I'm sure we will continue to see clubs uh, and countries attempt to weigh in. Um, I think the interesting part about all this is that, you know, when when Jordan Henderson joined uh, Saudi Arabia and we criticised him for going against his morals, and we questioned whether or not he was a, a fool or a cynical man when he said things like. I'm going there to try and help kickstart Saudi Arabian football and all of this stuff. The fact that he's now keen to leave does make me feel like he was not being cynical and he actually did believe that he was going there to try and, and like be a part of a movement. And it does feel like this, this kickback is happening because maybe a lot of these players were sold a bit of a dream about how <laughs> the world was going to be watching them. This was going to be like the newest, biggest, brightest, shiniest thing. And it hasn't happened. No one cares. I haven't watched a single Saudi Arabian such a, game. This and week. maybe I'm misunderstanding you. Because I think that was cited as one of the reasons as well in this singular report that low audience numbers and low attendance figures was one of the reasons that sort of players were going disillusioned. I think you're thinking about Jordan Henson being genuine because this is, is a really generous interpretation that sort of Jordan Henson has got there. Like weekend, maybe weekend one, he's taken time to settle in. Weekend two, he's been like, right, time to start campaigning. And they've been like, no, go back in your house, Jordan. And he's like, well, <laughs> I, I, I never saw this one coming. Hey, Jordan, go to you're going (laughs) (laughs) that jordan has earnestly believed that he thought he was going to affect change and then he's tried to and they've been like uh absolutely not mr henderson and he's like well i never back to the uk for me but but i feel like you know the same was true of china to an extent which was that all of these players joined but but i feel like the perception of it has been different because i think when when players joined china at least how we viewed it from from the West was that they are going for money. That is what they are doing. They are taking the pay packet and accepting it. Whereas Saudi Arabia had this this extra component, which was that no, 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 this isn't like a place to a place for footballers to kind of go and and get a lot of money. This is like 
this is the thing. We're trying to create the thing. I don't think even China pretended or even tried to, to say that what they were doing was was trying to create like the most exciting league in the world immediately. And I feel like that 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 that's what, what I'm trying to talk about, which is that I wonder if the expectation that meeting reality of that specifically is what has led to it collapsing as quickly as it has, if indeed it does collapse. Well, perhaps. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where this story develops. I wanted to flag it now because it is potentially a real tinderbox. It is also potentially uh, nothing really of of substance, but we'll find that all Mm. out in the coming weeks. As for this week, Rupert, probably a good time to call it. Sure thing, Cam. Yeah, next week I want to talk a little bit about the Bundesliga and interesting things that they're doing, but maybe we'll save that as we are running low on time. Great to talk to you as always. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Great to talk to you as well. Plenty of interesting stuff going on in the Bundesliga that we'll have time to touch on next week, as well as AFCON and the Asian Cup having kicked off. So we will have the docket absolutely chock full. But yes, another great week to talk to you. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Armchair Analyst was recorded remotely by Cameron McDonald and Rupert Meadows. The album artwork was provided by our good friend Amschel.